Welcome to the Voices of Healthcare Equity podcast. I'm your host, Kim Trankwada. I am the founder and CEO of Healthcare Alliance for an Equitable World and a board-certified emergency physician. After 25 years in healthcare, Healthcare Alliance for an Equitable World is the expression of an overwhelming desire to do more today to address healthcare inequity across the globe. There is currently a global shortage of 6 million physicians and several million more other healthcare workers, including nurses, midwives, dentists, and pharmacists. With Healthcare Alliance for an Equitable World, we are using telehealth to bridge this global healthcare workforce gap today. And we are building a global community of healthcare professionals who can do the work of global health on a regular basis from the comfort of their home. This podcast, Voices of Healthcare Equity, is one of the ways we are building this community. This podcast will feature conversations and insights from innovators in global health. We will gain insight and perspectives on the current and future state of healthcare across the globe. I am inviting you to join us in this community and in our mission to make a lasting and scalable impact on global equity in our lifetime. And today we're speaking of one of those innovators in global health, Dr. Randall Ellis. Dr. Ellis and I met at the Meadow Echo Conference in Albuquerque, New Mexico in September of this year. And at that conference, we discussed our shared interest in the growth of emergency medicine across the globe and especially in low resourced countries. Dr. Ellis has developed and worked in emergency medicine programs in Uganda, Zambia, and Malawi, and we are so thrilled to have you join us in conversation today, Dr. Ellis. Randall, before we begin, do you have any affiliate disclaimers or any uh, conflicts of interest you'd like to identify? Thank you, Kim. Uh, I don't have any conflicts of interest. I, I will be representing, and my current work is with Seed Global Health, and that's what we'll be discussing. I look forward to it. Awesome. Welcome. So let's start with that. Um, what can you tell us about your work with Seed Global Health and how uh, Seed uh, is helping to address uh, equity globally? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I'll start out with talking about Seed Global Health in general. Um, I liked how you started the discussion talking about uh, the low numbers of healthcare workers per population in so many parts of the world. And Africa is definitely a major part of that. Uh, roughly, it has about 25% of the world's population, but only 5% or less of the healthcare workers in Africa. And uh, that is one of Seed Global Health's missions is to uh, try to address that problem in a sustainable manner. It currently, Seed Global Health works in four different countries in Africa currently, Uganda, Sierra Leone, Malawi, and Zambia. Uh, I am an emergency physician, much like you, uh, and that's the side I work with, with Seed Global Health. We're working on emergency medicine development in Uganda, but Seed Global Health also uh, works with midwifery, uh, pediatrics, uh, nursing, family medicine, uh, OBGYN. Um, I may have left out even a few others. And, and the goal 
of Seed Global Health is to work with partners uh, at the Ministry of Health level and the university levels uh, at these different uh, countries and, and partner sites. Um, we do not go into any place on our own and decide what they need. Seed uh, is always uh, invited in uh, and partners with it and has partnership agreements with it. And it's working within the framework of what uh, the country wants, what the Ministry of Health wants, and what the partners want. Uh, and it, it is providing educators to educate the local uh, population, the, the students and residents uh, at these facilities. Uh, and so it's providing uh, basically visiting faculty is, is what it's doing and what we are are labeled or called educators or visiting faculty at the at the facilities. And we are training um, the local population to uh, sustain this. And in many of the programs uh, we've worked with, uh, former students that have finished the programs uh, then are mentored into taking over the programs and running the programs. And that's certainly the goal behind all this. Uh, I think any good NGO working in another country should be working hard to put themselves out of business. There will always be more work in the foreseeable future. Other countries work in the same countries, but at the local sites and the local partnership sites we're working at, really our goal is to put ourselves out of business and no longer be needed at those sites. So. That's one reason I, I enjoy working with SEED. Uh, you know, if you've done global health work long enough, uh, you've seen the good, the bad, the ugly. And the good to me is being sustainable, um, something that will improve the conditions and improve things into the future. And uh, building up the healthcare workforce capacity of the local areas is the goal behind SEED. So that's awesome. I heard. Um a lot uh, about um, how you make this sustainable um, and how you work with the local communities and the health uh, ministry. What would you say, or maybe you can give us an example, what is the life cycle of one of your projects from the beginning to the end to, and how do you determine when it's time to uh, turn it over to the local team that you've trained? Yeah. Thank you. That's that's an excellent question and not always so easy to answer. And it will probably be determined by uh, several things. It's That's not just decided by SEED. That's decided by the Ministry of Health and local partners. If they decide that we are no longer needed, then we are no longer needed there, um, uh, which is, is fantastic. Uh, mostly when we go into a, a partnership, we make five-year agreements with them and have a five-year plan and goals set in place and things like that, year-to-year -year goals. And uh, we're working hard to meet those. As you can imagine, COVID put uh, a damper on trying to reach some of the goals uh, in a timely manner. It didn't really change the long-term plan, but it, it certainly delayed some of the progression that we were making in some of the places. Um, and you also asked, how do we know when we are no longer needed? Like I said, I, I think that's really in discussion with the, the partner sites. Um, we have certainly, the 
the site I was working at, I've been talking about seed in general, but I was working in Uganda from 2018 to 2020. I have since been back there for shorter periods of time, but that was a continuous time I was there and COVID, um, we were sent back uh, when COVID hit at that time. Um, and the site I was working with now has two of the former residents as faculty members. The head of the department is one of the former residents and uh, one of the uh, associate lecturers is also a faculty member. Uh, so we're making very steady progress on turning this over there. We still have one educator there at the site to help and mentor uh, the young faculty that are there. Uh, but you can easily see that this is not going to go on forever, nor should it. Um, that's not our goal. And they're doing a fantastic job. Um, the young Ugandan faculty that are there and former residents that I was teaching uh, are doing a fantastic job at running the program. Uh, so it's it really is seeing this in work, uh, what we are actually doing. You know, it's obviously visualizing it from 2018 to 2023, a five-year period. Um, things change, uh, and they have changed for the better uh, at that site, and we are very proud of that. So I wanted to clarify for our audience, we use a little bit of some um, academic terminology. So um, you are uh, training uh, physicians in uh, emergency medicine. These are the residents that you were speaking of that are now uh, practicing emergency medicine uh, leaders themselves. We are. Let me let me explain. I'll just I'll just kind of uh, talk about uh, emergency medicine development there. Uh, kind of zero in on one of Seed's major um, projects there. Emergency medicine only started as a uh, specialty in Uganda in 2017. Um, so very short period of time, six years. Uh, currently, um, we have in a country that has a population of 47 million people, there are 17 uh, specifically trained emergency physicians in Uganda and currently 37 residents. So those are physicians in training to become emergency physicians. So still have a long way to go with this, as you can imagine, uh, but we are slowly, slowly working there. Uh, in addition to training the residents, that's a specific goal. Certainly there's a lot of uh, knockoff effect with this. Um, we're, Medical students become interested, nurses become interested. We're doing a lot of training with nurses and medical students. There's a lot of pre-hospital development going on as part of uh, developing emergency medicine in Uganda. We did a lot of training with that. And what makes me the most proud is that we have a lot of the residents, former graduates and current residents that are actively getting out and also training pre-hospital uh, people. And they're training uh, people in some of the rural sites. Um, we're also, which is why we're at the ECHO program in Albuquerque, uh, using a platform uh, called uh, Project ECHO out of the University of New Mexico. 
to increase the knowledge base uh, for emergency care across the country. It was kind of realized that this was going to be slow progress training residents over a three-year period, you know, one by one and getting them out and getting them out. And they could certainly, they are participating in training programs themselves, but we also wanted to um, scale this up, scale the knowledge base up. So the ECHO program was started two years ago, been wildly popular. Uh, it uh, Every two weeks, there's a two-hour program on a different emergency care topic. Sometimes it's simulations such as airway, breathing, circulation. Uh, and there's a wide variety of people uh, listening to this and getting involved in this at the rural sites, anywhere from students to nurses to technologists. We feel like everybody needs and benefit from uh, emergency care knowledge and particularly team-based emergency care, which is another thing. Uh, that SEED is working on to develop emergency care reaction teams. Um, in hospitals in the U.S., uh, they're often called medical response teams uh, responding to emergencies. Uh, they're calling them react teams there. So it would be whether, as opposed to the U.S., oftentimes they're also responding to the emergency department, a very sick patient. Uh, or the wards or anywhere else in the facility there, they will respond to. And this is, uh, and of course, if you train the REACT team, kind of a core group of team members, they can also train more people at that facility uh, to work in this. So um, trying, doing a number of different, uh, using a number of different modalities to try to increase the capacity and the knowledge base of emergency care in Uganda. That's excellent. Um, what, um, for perspective, is it like, um, or was it like before there was emergency medicine as a specialty in 2017? What would it be like for someone that has a car accident or uh, a major medical emergency um, without the emergency medicine services? It could be rather chaotic and it would depend a lot on where you are. And it still depends a lot on where you are and where you, where you have that accident. I can tell you if you are near one of the facilities where we are training uh, emergency care um, personnel, or you're at near a facility where some of the graduates are currently working, it's going to be a much more organized approach to resuscitation. There's still a lot of problems with pre-hospital uh, transport um, that is getting better in some places, particularly Kampala, uh, but that still is a problem. Getting people from a scene of an accident to the facility, obviously, is one part of this is being worked on. When they get to the facility, it needs to be a very systematic uh, approach to the emergency care and a timely approach. And that often wasn't happening uh, before. Much like, um, you know, this has occurred in many different countries around the world, this development of emergency medicine. It, it was happening in the US uh, just, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, some places even less time than that, uh, where 
if you arrived at a facility, it it really depended on where you landed and where you ended up as to how good a response you were going to get. I think it's far, far better than it used to be uh, in the U.S. and in many developed countries. But um, 40 or 50 years ago, it was like this worldwide, uh, where it was very disorganized. There wasn't good pre-hospital care. There was an organized approach and resuscitation for very sick or injured patients. Uh, and uh, it kind of depended on who happened to be there at the time. Uh, this, for example, uh, in Uganda, first off, many hospitals don't even have an emergency department. Uh, they don't have the equipment they need for that. And the ones that do, pretty much divided up into a surgical side and a medical side, and everybody's got their uh, little different area that they work in. Well, that's not necessarily beneficial to somebody that has, let's say, an MI and uh, myocardial infarction, a heart attack, and runs off the road and wrecks their car. They're injured, and they have a medical problem. They need multiple things addressed at the same time. Uh, and they need the, the care organized. That's where um, developing a very systematic approach and teaching that to the personnel working in these areas um, that they can really improve the, the care and the outcomes. Yeah, I might be um, aging myself a little bit, but when I was in medical school, um, our main hospital still had it. GYN side, a surgical side, a medical side. Um, and when you came in, you might be moved to any of one of those sides. But what um, our mantra is in emergency medicine is that there's a whole person and many things can be going on at the same time and getting the most important things done right away by an emergency specialist, of course, makes interventions more timely and makes outcomes better. Um, so that's why we have this emergency medicine approach, but I'm not young enough to not remember. Oh, I'm with you there, Kim, because I do remember that also. Where I trained, they also had the, the similar type setup, yes. Yeah, and our trauma folks were always surgeons and um, vascular, and, and anyway, we certainly have become a community that uh, knows how to collaborate with everybody um, and bring all the resources to bear for um, a patient in extremis. And um, it sounds so impressive when you say, you know, you go from five years ago, no emergency medicine, and now you have 17 fully trained uh, physicians and 37 residents. But we're talking about a scale and a scope problem here, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you have an entire country that needs um, this kind of care. What is the scale that needs to occur um, for this, for you to really be obsolete in Uganda? Yeah, that's a big question, <laughs> a big scale. Um, I agree. I think several things need to happen and hopefully it will happen. Um, one, to address the problem, uh, as I talked about, was the echo. 
and then uh, you know trying to get emergency care knowledge out to as many people as possible. Even if they're not officially trained in emergency care, they can still do simple resuscitation, which makes a huge difference in outcomes. Early, very responsive, appropriate resuscitative measures help greatly. Uh, so that's one thing. Um, the the other thing is uh, improving the pre-hospital care is still being worked on. That will help. Fortunately, it's being worked on in the biggest city where the largest population density is in Kampala. I think what they the lessons learned from Kampala will also be able to take out to the rest of the country. I think ultimately several other things need to happen, uh, but that's not for me to decide. This is my opinion. Uh, and it's not for C to decide. We don't do these things or decide these things. This would come at the Ministry of Health level. I think there's going to have to be more residency programs and more training programs, both for physicians and uh, for nursing. There's no, currently there's no official uh, emergency nursing uh, training or certification, which I think that would help in the long run. I think what is currently going on, though, is very good, which is that by having these residencies in ECHO program, uh, it has generated a lot of interest, particularly among students and the younger uh, uh, medical professionals. They are starting to, and this is part of scaling it up, too, they are introducing uh, emergency care uh, knowledge into medical schools, nursing schools that was not there before. So that again, uh, the graduates of these programs, even if they don't officially become emergency physicians or emergency nurses or anything like that, hopefully healthcare workers across the country will have some basic uh, emergency care knowledge and resuscitative skills, uh, which again will make a, a big difference. And they'll have an understanding of the timeliness and how timeliness is important. All this was not there even several years ago. So um, that's one way to scale it up is just to teach all healthcare workers through their training some basic emergency care uh, techniques and knowledge. Uh, so that if they may be the only ones with that knowledge at the facility, depending on how rural it is, that's great. Uh, we've certainly seen that the people that people are wildly excited to get this knowledge, um, and which is fantastic. Uh, and um, I've seen it happen currently that you know there may be one or two people that uh, have some training and basic emergency care techniques at some of the rural facilities. And then they train everybody else on staff. Uh, and that's, I think that's where it starts and how it scales up in the early uh, part of this. Um, again, none of this is, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. This has been done many times in many different countries. Um, and I, 
it's always unique to any particular country or group, uh, but there's a lot of lessons that can be learned uh, from what's happened in the past. With that awesome insight, um, we're going to take a pause. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about those lessons learned and the unique insights.